Welcome to this episode of ClearedCast, your source for security clearance, intelligence community, espionage, national security, and defense contracting updates, and our exclusive interviews with intelligence community and government leaders. Hi, this is Lenny Kaiser with Clearance Jobs and William Henderson, president of the Federal Clearance Assistance Service. Bill has served as a counterintelligence agent with the U.S. Army in a variety of personnel security roles in the Federal Service and founded FedCast in 2012. Throughout his career, he has seen a number of security clearance issues, and he's joining us today to talk about some of the most frequent problems he encounters. Thank you so much, Bill, for joining us. Well, thank you, Lindy, for for having me. So if no one has heard of the term statement of reasons, we wanted you are the expert on all of these process and policy things. So walk us through what a security clearance statement of reasons is. Well, normally it's attached to a a letter or it's incorporated into a letter from an adjudicative authority. Often the letter is, is referred to as a letter of intent to deny or revoke security clearance. Uh, sometimes it's incorporated into a letter of denial or letter of revocation, depending on who the um, adjudicative authority is. The intelligence community tends to write letters of denial or revocation rather than a letter of intent. So the statement of reasons explains to the applicant why the government is not going to grant a security clearance or is going to revoke a security clearance. And those reasons are tied to the uh, 13 adjudicative criteria listed in the National Security Adjudicative Guidelines. Okay, and so we're talking about clearance problems today, and that's definitely one of the problems you noted folks come to you with or you get questions about, and that's folks who say that their clearance was revoked, but they haven't received the SOAR, the Statement of Reasons. So why would that be the case? Well, this generally happens with high side intelligence community agencies. And when I say high side, I mean the um, the three lettered agencies like CIA, DIA, NRO, NSA, NGA. There's also a low side, which are primarily like Army, Navy, Air Force, and now uh, Space Force. The high side intelligence agencies oftentimes tell their building security office that they're about to deny a clearance or revoke a clearance and that the building security office to pull the individual's building pass. Uh, When that happens, the employer, oftentimes a contractor, is told that not to allow their person to go to the customer site anymore because their building pass has been revoked. That then usually (laughs) results in employment termination because the applicant can't do his job without going to the customer's site. That then results in a loss of jurisdiction because when the person's terminated, they're no longer affiliated with the government in any way. And then the intelligence agency doesn't have to follow through to write the statement of reasons because there's no reason to anymore because the person's no longer has a job and doesn't require security clearance. That is a dicey situation for sure. And I've actually, I've heard of that exact scenario happening where someone is kind of offloaded, you know, has their badge accesses removed or whatever and ends up in that state. So you mentioned that term loss of jurisdiction. So what does that mean? And what can, you know, somebody maybe who had held a security clearance do if they have that loss of jurisdiction? Well, unfortunately, there's really very little that can be done by the applicant. The primary way of of solving the problem is to get another entity, whether it be a cleared contractor or a government agency, to sponsor them for the clearance so that the adjudicative facility can reopen the case and and complete the adjudication. It's important to understand why loss of jurisdiction occurs. And it's 
as I said earlier, it's a matter that when a person is no longer affiliated with the government because their sponsorship has been withdrawn, they no longer require a security clearance. So there's no reason for the adjudicative agency to spend time and money to adjudicate the case and, and make a eligibility determination. Adjudicative agencies feel that it would be a waste of money to do that when no clearance is required. The vast majority of adjudicative agencies will enter a loss of jurisdiction into a person's clearance record when they're no longer affiliated. There are some agencies that, that don't do that. The CIA, for one, if they deny security clearance, they will continue adjudicating as long as you want to pursue the matter through a second level review. The LOJs occur for a number of reasons. Uh, usually it's just really bad timing. If a person has uh, is going through a periodic reinvestigation, let's say their employer loses a contract while this is going on, their case gets completed and, and sent to the DOD Consolidated Adjudication Facility. When it arrives, the first thing the adjudicator does is check on the individual status within the DISS, Defense and Information for security system. If they're no longer affiliated with the government and there's an investigation to be adjudicated, then they will enter an LOJ. So it's any time there's a pending adjudication and the person is no longer affiliated with the government, then they enter the LOJ. It also happens when a person is fired from a job and the employer submits an incident report. The incident report goes forward in his pending adjudication and the person is separated from their employer. The adjudicator looks at it and says there's no reason to adjudicate because clearance is no longer required. Again, LOJ is entered into the security record. It's really a, I mean, we've written about it before. It's really a catch-22 situation. So a loss of jurisdiction is going to occur for that person who already has a security clearance or has obtained a security clearance and then has something something happened in the process where their eligibility is removed. But it pretty much takes a new agency or a new organization taking on that clearance for that to be resolved. So do you have any tips for candidates who find themselves in that situation in order to kind of get another agency or organization engaged on helping them with their eligibility? or do you find it's really difficult to do that? I'd like to point out that sometimes it happens with new applicants as well. If their investigation takes a long time, the employer may give up on them and, and withdraw sponsorship on an initial application, and that could result in the LOJ as well. If everything stops uh, soon enough, then the investigation is terminated before it's completed and it never gets to adjudication, you know, so they wouldn't enter an LOJ. But if an LOJ is entered and the person, let's say, no, well, they're not going to have a, a job because that's the basis for the LOJ, they can request a copy of their DISS record under the provisions of the Privacy Act. And in there will be the narrative, let's say for an incident report. They can also request a copy of their background investigation. and They can see exactly what happened there, that delayed adjudication. There's probably some unfavorable information and the case just drug out for a long time. But getting the incident report, and that that's usually the reason for LOJs. Uh, getting the incident report, if it's a minor problem, uh, they can show the incident report to a prospective employer to convince the employer that the matter can be cleared up quickly if, it, if they're willing to sponsor him for the clearance. If it's a very serious matter in the incident, not likely that the employer is going to take him on because you're looking at a several months after the person is sponsored for a clearance before all of this will be 
resolved and potential employers are you know more likely than to pass on that prospective employee and, and go on to somebody else who's never had a clearance before and has a good possibility of getting an interim clearance within a, in less than a month. So the only thing the applicant can do is is to get a copy of the incident report, uh, which is like I said in the DISS record. If it's a minor matter, you know, show it to the prospective employer. Other than that, there, there's really nothing that the um, applicant can do to encourage an employer to sponsor them for a security clearance. But knowledge is power. And I think that point is a big one. We certainly encourage applicants to do that. If you receive a statement of reasons, make sure that you have that information. If you get a loss of jurisdiction, make sure you follow the steps that you can take under the Privacy Act to get a copy of that investigation. Because there are sometimes minor issues that that come up that could be resolved and having that information can help you as you're applying for the next job. I think the other thing we also say or see is that passage of time can certainly help, I think, in a loss of jurisdiction case as well. So if if you can speak to that at all where if you have an incident even that occurs, one of the biggest ways to mitigate any issue is passage of time. So just because you you know have a loss of jurisdiction or an issue at one point doesn't mean that a few years later you couldn't successfully apply for and obtain a security clearance. Would you say that's correct or have any thoughts there? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things about security clearances is if something adverse is going on, applicant needs to find out exactly what it is. And generally, the only way to do that is to submit Privacy Act requests, either for the investigative file or for the um, DISS record uh, to see exactly what's going on. I had a client once who I had him get his DISS record and the incident report merely said subject, meaning the applicant, subject terminated for cause. But there was no other explanation for why they submitted an incident report. Under that type of circumstance, I think it would be fairly easy to convince a prospective employer to sponsor them for the clearance and try to get the matter straightened out. I remember another client who had just had a um, periodic reinvestigation completed when her employer's contract terminated. The periodic reinvestigation got hung up and consequently the LOJ was entered into a record. In this particular case, they had something called back then it was called a PPR, um, a phase periodic reinvestigation. And phase periodic reinvestigations were only done when it was a clean case. So any prospective employer would be able to see that and say, oh, well, gee, you know, it's, it's a phased periodic reinvestigation. There's no unfavorable information in there. It was just really poor timing of uh, losing her job when her periodic reinvestigation had just been completed. So again, knowledge is power when it comes to the security clearance process. And if you have problems, there are certainly steps that can be taken to mitigate them. Although loss of jurisdiction is certainly one of the more troublesome issues for security clearance applicants. Thank you again so much, Bill, for chatting with us. And I know that we're going to have you back to talk about foreign influence and foreign involvement and other topic. So we appreciate your time chatting with us today. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me. And anytime, I'm more than happy to participate. This is Katie Keller, editor at clearancejobs.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of ClearedCast. For more information on career and recruiting advice, visit news.clearancejobs.com.